Welcome to episode 90 of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. Today's guest is Paul Entrican. For most of his adult life, Paul's feet have been off the ground and in the air, flying from one destination to another, sometimes upside down and often at warp speed. A retired U.S. Marine, naval aviator, and Delta Airline captain, Paul primarily is known today as an acrobatic pilot who owns and flies a Russian MiG-15 fighter jet in air shows across North America. The role he most cherishes is that as grandpa. Today he's with us to discuss his first children's book, Jasper and the Christmas Fairies, a book he co-wrote with his wife Lisa, but was inspired by his youngest grandchild and only grandson. Welcome, Paul, to the podcast. I am so glad you're here today. And I I love your book, Jasper and the Christmas Fairies. Is this the beginning of a series that you're going to write? Well, we certainly hope so. Here at, uh, at our little place we call Rocky Creek Ranch, we've got all kinds of critters in our peaceable kingdom. And uh, Jasper is just one of several. And uh, each kind of has their own story as to uh, how they came to be here at the ranch. But uh, this other story about Jasper and the Christmas fairies was one that I just concocted with my grandson sitting next to me. But uh, yes, indeed, the answer to your question is, uh, we hope to have a, a series of books, at least three or four about some of our Uh, more interesting critters. I love Jasper and the Christmas fairies. And when I read it, my first thought was, this is, this takes me back to some of the old world charm stories that I grew up with someone reading to me or or my reading it to myself. And then the illustrations just reinforce that. So it's a really nice package. That's wonderful to hear. We're, we're so glad. And we really hope that it uh, provides an opportunity for, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to take little ones as lap sitters and and read the book with them and turn the pages. And uh, I recall as a child myself, that was uh, one of the advantages that I had. My mother was uh, very diligent about holding me in her lap and reading books and turning the pages. And I could associate the words with the pictures. And uh, I I think that that really enhanced uh, my preparation for kindergarten, but but more than that, it's an opportunity to to share a little love with our our kids and grandkids. So that's uh, if if that comes uh, as a fruit of having offered this book, then that'll be more than enough. You said you wrote this with your grandson. Is Everett your only grandchild? We have four. He is the youngest. He's uh, seven now. But uh, when this happened, he was uh, somewhere between four and five. Uh, you want me to tell you the story of how it came to be? That was going to be my next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was Christmas time. And uh, we live, as I said, on an 80 acre ranch. And our house is pretty much removed from the roadway. So folks can't really see our house. So decorating outdoors is, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us like we used to when we lived in town. So I had these laser lights that you might have seen that people will put outside and you can shine them up into your trees and they really emit this beautiful luminescent sort of glow. And I I really liked those lights and didn't have any use for them out here because as I said, we didn't decorate the outside of the house for Christmas. So I 
came up with this idea. Our, our great room has very tall ceilings, they're about 35 feet. And I found a way that I could uh, connect these laser lights so that they would shine on the ceiling of the great room. And this one evening during the holidays, I have this uh, chair and a half recliner and I was sitting in the chair and Everett climbed up in the chair with me and we had it reclined a little bit and we're watching some kids show on television. And he happened to look up and see the lights. Grandpa, what's that? Well, <laughs> me being me, I, <laughs> I have this affinity for kids and they, they tend to like me for some reason and I just absolutely adore little ones. And my brain started working in overtime and I said, well, Everett, those are fairies. Wow. So on the fly, I concocted this story about these Christmas fairies. And so that's how the story came to be. And then uh, I was overheard uh, sort of telling that little story to him. And uh, from that, I was encouraged to uh, embellish the story a little bit. And But that's the genesis of, of how the idea came to be. And then to make the story... Uh, to extend the story, I should say, came up with the idea of uh, our our Labrador retriever Rufus, who he he writes a blog from time to time, so he's he's pretty uh, pretty comfortable doing that. So we wrote the book from his perspective, and so he talks about uh, what he observed during the holidays with the fairies and Jasper and and the whole story. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's it's a very lovable story about. Uh, how our, our donkey Jasper uh, received some holiday cheer. But that's basically how the story came to be. Well, it's a really sweet story. I love Jasper and I love Rufus. I love golden retrievers. They're one of my favorite dogs. But uh, let's, uh, let's give a little bit of love to Smarty, Bonnie and Thunder. Are they really <laughs> horses on your ranch? They are indeed. Smarty is a Mustang that we adopted uh, he came from a herd in Wyoming. He actually has a freeze brand uh, up on his neck. It looks like sort of like hieroglyphics and you have to be able to decipher this code. But that that freeze brand tells uh, when he was born, what herd he was born to, uh, how he came to the Florida panhandle. I don't know, but uh, he eventually ended up in an animal rescue place and we adopted him from there. We actually fostered him for the first couple of years. And then we just fell in love with him, so we went ahead and adopted him. And then uh, I'd always wanted a Clydesdale, and through some some friends, we were able to get Bonnie first. And then we decided that we had room for another, so we managed to have her bred, and her colt Thunder was born here. So we have the two Clydes as well, and they are just they're a hoot, uh, as you can imagine. They're absolutely enormous animals, but uh, it's it's such a joy to look out into the pasture and, and see all the equines out there playing together. It's just, just, just a really special place here at the ranch. Uh, do you drive or ride the horses? Well, we haven't saddle broken Bonnie because uh, she was, she was fully grown at four years and uh, rather we had two choices. We could either saddle break her or have her bred and we decided to have her bred. Uh, and now uh, Thunder is two. So what we're thinking is uh, in another couple of years, uh, when he's fully grown, we'll probably both have them saddle broken at the same time. We don't have any plans for them to 
to pull a wagon to be draft horses or anything like that. And Smarty is saddle broken. He can be ridden anytime. With I was really intrigued by your profession as a pilot. What led you to become an aviator in the, well, in the Marines and, and Navy? Again, that's, that's a great question. I, I graduated from Auburn in 1976 with, as I like to say, a degree in football. Uh, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> I started out as a music major and uh, shifted, shifted it to a composite major minor in health, physical education and recreation. And I, I played football at Auburn. And uh, that's another story unto itself in, a, in one of my other books. But uh, so I graduated, did my student teaching and all that and decided that I did not want to be an educator. And I was sort of floundering around after I graduated, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And through a very special series of happenstance circumstances, uh, I ended up uh, going into the Marine Corps. Uh, tested uh, to become an officer. And uh, a funny little side note is when I was tested, the, the staff sergeant that was testing me asked me if I wanted to take the aviation test as well. And I was so ignorant of the military and the Marine Corps in particular. I said, no, no, I'm not interested in the Air Force. I, I'm only interested in the Marine Corps. And with a sort of a frown on his face, he said, well, the Marine Corps has aircraft too. And I felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me go ahead and take those tests too. So I did and did well. And he said, well, we can offer you an aviation guarantee. And he said, you just go to OCS and you get commissioned and come to Pensacola and go to flight school. Wow, that sounds great. So I had never, ever entertained the idea of going into the military or especially becoming a pilot. Uh, got to Pensacola, uh, went through flight school, and I knew from my very first couple of flights that that's what I wanted to do. I absolutely fell in love with flying. Got wings in uh, early 1980, and uh, the rest is history. I got to fly helicopters. I got to fly turboprops as an instructor back here in Pensacola. I got to fly jets on an exchange tour and just had the most rewarding career as a Marine pilot that anybody could imagine. I absolutely loved it. You retired and then became a uh, pilot for Delta Airlines. That's right. After I left the Marine Corps, I initially got into the air show business. That's when I got my MiG-15 and was flying around on the air show circuit. And I learned very quickly why the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds limit their folks to a couple of years on the team, because you spend so much time on the road with this gypsy lifestyle. It's very tough on your family life. And I realized that uh, I wasn't going to, I was making a very handsome living flying air shows, but I, I knew that that's not something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life full-time as a vocation. So an opportunity to, uh, to join Delta Airlines came along and I was able to sort of have my cake and eat it too. Uh, I continued to do air shows, but I did uh, just enough eight to 10 shows a year to stay proficient doing uh, low-level aerobatics, but, uh, but not so much that I stayed gone all the time. And then I had my career with Delta as well. So again, very, very blessed to to have an occupation that most people would pay to do. They, they say, if you do something that you love, you never work a day in your life. And that was pretty much true for my entire career. Oh, that sounds like a wonderful career. Now let's go back to the Russian MIG. How did you happen to acquire one of those? 
Well, as I said, when I got out of the Marine Corps uh, on active duty, I decided that I was, I'd been teaching aerobatics to students and I, I thought that was something I was very comfortable with and that uh, I was intrigued with the air show business and decided that, that I would get myself a, a pit special, which is a, a very small aerobatic biplane, uh, very common on the air show circuit, especially back in the eighties. So I had purchased a pit special and I was uh, doing my workup, getting my air show routine ready. And a friend of mine uh, who was a former Canadian snowbird pilot mentioned that he had seen an article in Canadian Aviation Magazine about a fellow up in Canada importing some MiG 17s. And he said, you need to check into that. He said, you can get a hold of one of those. You could write your own ticket in the air show industry. And we both laughed about it and thought, yeah, right. Because at that time there were, there were no MiGs flying anywhere in the free world, especially by civilians. There were some in, uh, in clandestine operations in different places that some of us knew about, but nothing like that had ever been demonstrated on the air show circuit. So on a lark, I, I contacted this fellow up in Canada. He confirmed it was legitimate. I asked him about maintenance and he said, nope, nope, you'd be on your own for that. And I thought, oh boy, that's, that's a big deal. You gotta be able to maintain the airplane in order to fly it. So I contacted uh, a fellow out in California that I knew and asked him if he could handle the maintenance on the aircraft. And he said, well, before I answer that question, he said, why would you not rather have a MiG-15 than a MiG-17? I said, well, it doesn't really matter because this is one that's available. I have no idea where I could possibly find a, a MiG-15 anyway. And he says, uh, well, I just happen to have five of them sitting on the dock in Long Beach right now going through customs and you would get the very first one. And so that's how that adventure started. It was just a matter of, I'll call it divine intervention that put me in touch with the right people at the right time. And sure enough, I got a hold of the very first MiG-15 that was civilian owned and operated. And I'm sure the FAA had a few more gray hairs because of our preparing that airplane to, to fly and be demonstrated. But the airplane got certificated as did I. And we were off to the races in the air show industry, and I flew it all over North America uh, for several years, uh, did hundreds and hundreds of air shows, and did a full aerobatic flight demonstration. It was sort of a, a history lesson uh, for folks to, to learn about that aircraft, but it was so much fun and so rewarding, and television shows and a couple of little movie appearances and interviews galore, and I was really in my element and just absolutely, again, loved it uh, what a what a blessing to have a career like that it was just so special that's really exciting I love going to air shows and where I live in Virginia well I, I my family all lives in Virginia Beach and that's where I lived until my husband died every September Virginia Beach has what's called its Neptune Festival and the Blue Angels fly and my kids were telling me yesterday that they were practicing the, the Blue Angels were practicing and you could see them flying over and they just loved it. So the Neptune Festival is the end of September. So I'm excited to go down there to watch that. And then there was something else I was telling you about at the beginning. There's another air show that happens every Sunday during warm weather here in Virginia. And it's called the Flying Circus and it's in Bealton, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, DC. And that is fabulous. And they have all kinds of aircraft flying and doing acrobatics. So I love 
watching the aircraft and I love taking my grandkids so that they can see this. And Bealton, the flying air, the flying circus air show also has a hot air balloon festival from time to time. So I just, I think it's a wonderful activity to take families to. So I would imagine your kids and grandkids enjoy that too. Absolutely. Everybody loves the Blue Angels, especially in uh, being a Pensacolian and which is, this is their home base. Uh, I'm, I'm privileged as the air boss for the Pensacola Beach Air Show to, uh, to sort of uh, be in command of that air show uh, out at the Pensacola Beach every summer in July. And I truly enjoy that. And as a result, I've gotten to know the teams uh, over the years. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was a flight instructor uh, here, I had uh, five of my students actually went on to become Blue Angels pilots. So uh, I'm very proud of that. I've had an opportunity to actually uh, fly a practice show with the guys sitting in the back seat of, uh, of number five. And uh, what a what a joy that was. And uh, I've been very close to the team for, for many, many years. And uh, you're absolutely right, especially if people get a chance to watch the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds or the Snowbirds. Those military teams fly with such precision and it's so much fun. And everybody loves to watch them and kind of makes your chest puff out a little bit with pride, doesn't it? Uh, it's it's just it's spectacular i mean it's just absolutely spectacular and i just love watching them it's it's just a really nice outing and i encourage listeners if you've never had a chance to watch an air show or to watch a precision team like the thunderbirds or the the blue angels please go see it because it is i mean it's giving me goosebumps even talking about it Tell me a bit about your grandchildren. I have uh, four, as I mentioned. Uh, the two oldest are girls. They're, they're all grown up. Uh, one's in her 20s. Uh, the other one is uh, approaching her 20s, and she's a college student. Uh, the other two, uh, three daughters, three granddaughters and one grandson. Uh, the youngest granddaughter is now in high school, and uh, she loves theater and uh, she has entertained playing the cello. She's very artistic. And then there's Everett, who is uh, seven. And he is just a little hoot, as you can imagine. Uh, as, and of course, I dote on him because he is my only grandson. But uh, just, just very blessed to have, uh, have grandchildren. And I'm sure that your listeners uh, will all agree that uh, grands are our, our pride and joy. And we can spoil them and then after we spoil them right, we can give them back to mom and dad. So I do like keeping mine around for a long time. It's uh, it's fun to have them here or to be with them at their, their place too. Absolutely. What are some of the special things you do with your grandchildren? Oh my goodness. We spend most of our time together during the holidays. Uh, my, my two older granddaughters, uh, one lives in California and one lives in Oklahoma. So I don't see them very often. Uh, but the two that live locally, um, uh, most of our time together is spent here at the ranch. Uh, we have all kinds of critters, as I've said a couple of times. Uh, we have Texas longhorns, we have the horses, we have some chickens and some peafowl. And uh, it's a relatively remote area. So we have deer that come to our feeder in the backyard and an occasional turkey will wander through. So they love coming out here and, and enjoying the, the serenity of not not being in the urban environment as much and uh, a lot of fish in our pond and uh, 
Everett and I can, can catch some fish, but that's the way we spend the majority of our time. And uh, we tend to see them more during the holidays. And uh, that's one of the reasons we uh, are so enamored with Christmas. We love the Christmas holidays tremendously. And not only just because we love Christmas, but because it's a, it's a great opportunity to spend even more time with them. Tell me about your relationship with your grandparents. Oh my goodness. Uh, I had the most special grandparents. Uh, I did not know my maternal grandparents well. My maternal grandmother passed away before I was born. And my maternal grandfather, which I'm, I'm named after, by the way, my first name, uh, Paul, I'm named after him. Uh, he passed away when I was uh, a toddler. So I didn't, I didn't know him very well either, but my paternal grandparents uh, and I were very, very close. As a matter of fact, I actually spent a couple of years living with them. And uh, my grandfather uh, was a tough, gruff, old former Marine himself. I'm very proud to say that he uh, was a Navy Cross recipient. And that decoration for valor is secondly is second only to the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, he earned that in in Haiti in the early 1900s. Uh, he, he was just a really really special guy. He loved the outdoors. He loved to hunt and fish. And he was a farmer and a carpenter and a blacksmith, sort of a jack of all trades. So he shared some of those skills with me and, and with my dad and my uncles. He he was just a really really special guy. And as I said, tough and gruff. And, uh, but uh, one of his favorite things in the world to do was to, to get one of his grandkids to come over and sit on his lap. And he, uh, being a farmer, he didn't have to shave every day. And he had a beard like sandpaper. And he would <laughs> get us up on his lap and, and scrub his beard on us until we were just about ready to cry. And that, that just got a gut laugh from him. He thought that was hilarious. But he was a, he was a sweetheart of a guy. My grandmother was the most loving person on the planet. She just doted on us grandchildren. And uh, I think secretly, she probably told each one of us privately that we were special. She used to tell me how special I was to her all the time. And uh, so I, I absolutely adored my grandparents. They were a tremendous influence on, on how to love, how to live. They were just really, really special people. And I was so blessed to be able to spend so much time with them. They were, they were terrific. I think it is so important to have memories of grandparents and pass down stories so that future generations have a sense of belonging and how, how generations impact each other. You know, it, and now I know this was your, your, uh, your paternal grandparents, but you talked about your mom having you sit on her lap so that she could read to you. And that theme of reading, and now you're writing children's books, it just, that's just such an important theme in grandparenting. Absolutely. Uh, reading to children is tremendously important. Uh, my wife uh, could certainly vouch for that, uh, as you probably know from reading her biography as well. Um, she is a uh, an educator. Uh, right now she serves as an assistant principal at a local elementary school. And she sees firsthand on a daily basis how important it is when kindergartners and pre-kindergartners come in 
to have developed some reading skills already. And it's apparent to the teachers when they see a child that has been read to that their reading skills are vastly enhanced by that. So that's one of the hopeful byproducts of having a, a sweet, fun, enjoyable children's Christmas book that, as I said earlier, uh, aunts and uncles and moms and dads and grandparents will take the opportunity to, to sit their little ones in their laps and read to them and let them see the pictures and associate the words with the pictures and and learn what those words mean. And, and not only that, but have a, a wonderful, sweet Christmas story in the process. So it's a win-win. And But you're absolutely right. Reading to children is just absolutely critical at a young age. And this particular book is geared pretty much toward the little lap sitters and helping to develop some of those skills. Increasing a child's vocabulary is just one of the byproducts of listening to stories on their grandma and grandpa's lap, their mom and dad's lap. And it definitely can show up in early kindergarten, first grade, that you know a child has been exposed to a lot of language just by how easily they do pick up the reading. Even if they have a learning difference, they still have an audio, an oral appreciation of language. And I think that is so important. And there are definitely some words in your book that are not in the everyday vocabulary of most children. Yes, yes, indeed. And we were very intentional with that. Um, we thought about who our target audience was and their reading and listening capabilities. But we didn't want to water the words down and make them too elemental. Uh, we, we wanted it to, as you said, enhance their vocabulary, maybe hear and see some words that they hadn't seen or heard before. So uh, we were very deliberate in, uh, in sentence structure to make sure that that was grammatically correct. And uh, especially as you pointed out, uh, including some words in there that they might not have seen or heard before. So it's, it's a learning opportunity as well as an entertainment and bonding opportunity. So it's win-win-win it's all across the board to, to read these kinds of books to little ones. I want to go back to your career as an aviator and that you had not even considered that. And one of my missions is to help children begin to explore careers, even as a young age, like even as these lap sitters, as you call them, the thought of, and there's nothing against being a nurse or a teacher or a doctor or any of the quote, popular professions, but exposing children to different occupations through literature, I think is really a valid point. And I love the fact that, you know, you're, you're saying that you hadn't even thought about being an aviator, but what, what is the, for grandparents and parents who have young children and who want to help them explore all kinds of activities that can grow up to become professions, what do you think are some things that grandparents can do to introduce their children to careers in aviation? Wow, that's, that's a great question, Carolyn. And it's, it's a question that I wish my parents and grandparents had been exposed to when I was little. Uh, I did not really have the benefit of a, a tremendous mentor or even a guidance counselor in school that could 
introduced me to the possibilities that are out there, the, the vast number of things that the kids could aspire to be as they grow up. And just, just knowing that they're out there and having the opportunity to consider them is very, very important. But for aviation in particular, I think one of the things that, uh, that parents and grandparents can do is just when they see an airplane, which is not uncommon, point it out and say, wow, look at that. That's, that's an airliner up there making that nice white line in the sky. That's called a contrail and explain to them how those contrails are made. And uh, maybe if they do happen to travel as a little one, uh, let them look out the windows onto the ramp and see the aircraft itself and, and maybe ask uh, the cockpit crew if they would mind letting their little one come up and, and see the controls and the switches and everything. Those little things can plant a seed that you might not even consider would be important. But uh, I guess when you see an airplane or you see a book about an airplane, if, if that's just one of the many things that you'd like to, to place on their little mental menus about something that they might like to do when they get bigger, that's a great way to do it. Um, I think books are somewhat underrated these days. Everybody wants to do things digitally, but I'm one of those folks that, that likes to have a, a printed uh, book in my hand. And, and for kids, especially, they're, they're so indoctrinated with, with digital things. Uh, something special about looking at a photograph or a picture, say, of an airplane and uh, being able to point out different things. And you don't have to be an aviation expert to to expose your kids to this, but the more you know about it, the better. Because kids being kids, they're going to ask questions. Like, why does it look like this? And why do the wings look like that? And why do they put the engines there? And what's this thing called? And how do they make it turn? And so if grandparents and parents and, and those that are mentoring little ones can can get just a tiny bit of education about airplanes themselves, then they can expose their little ones to it. So that's a great way to introduce them to aviation. We are about the same age. And I, in high school, no one ever, no one, our guidance counselor included, there was one guidance counselor. Of course, we only had, my graduating class, there were fewer than 200 students. But I had no clue as to what I wanted to do when I graduated from high school, none. No one ever did any kind of career counseling with me. And I don't think it was something that people paid a whole lot of attention to or educators that, you know, education in general didn't pay a lot of attention to career exploration and mentoring students. The only mentoring or the only kind of career exploration that happened in my rural high school was all of the seniors were taken down to the cafeteria and the military was there giving everybody the ASVAB. And I remember when I got the results back, all of these recruiters were calling me and asking me to join the military. The Air Force was the first one. They wanted me to become an engineer. Well, I was good at math. I loved math. But I didn't even really know what an engineer was. And I'm like, I don't want to be an engineer. And it's like, wow, if somebody had just taken some time and told me about what an engineer does or the different fields of engineering, I probably could have been an engineer. 
but I just wasn't exposed to it. And then I, as a teacher, worked with high school students. And one of my responsibilities was to help ask these kids, what kind of careers are you thinking about when you are graduating and, and after high school, what do you think you're going to do? And often these kids had no clue. Fortunately, and I don't know if this is across the country, but at least here in Virginia, the, the powers that be recognize that high school is really too late to begin career exploration because by the time you're in high school, you have to pretty well map out what your classwork or coursework is going to look like for four years. And so we now have introducing in middle school career exploration, which I think is fabulous. And I encourage parents and grandparents of younger children, those lap sitters, to also talk about possible careers. And I, I use the story of, I took my grandkids to a chocolate factory and the owner of this store, this factory, was talking to the kids about she was a chocolatier. I had never used the word chocolatier around the kids. And I don't know. I know they saw the movie about, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I don't know if that word is in the movie or not. But she talked about being a chocolatier. When we left, my grandson, too, said, I think I'm going to be a chocolatier when I grow up. And it just struck me then that one, as far as I know, he had never heard that word, but that word stuck in his mind and it opened his thinking to the possibility of a career. And since that happened, and this was probably three or four years ago, I have just made an effort to talk about the different careers of the places we visit, the adventures we see, to just stimulate the children's thinking about that's a possibility and just exploring, like reading a book and talking about being an aviator, taking them to, we have, we are so fortunate and like you, we live in a military area too. So we have lots of opportunities for the kids to see air shows and to walk inside of an airplane. We are right near NASA Langley. So there's a, a really nice museum and there's a, a, a full-size aircraft. I don't remember which one it is, but the kids can sit in the cockpit and pretend that they're the pilot or they pretend that they're the, you know, the navigator or whatever the assistant pilot's called. So it's just really important to expose kids to different kinds of careers. So I'm glad to hear you talk about being an aviator. Well, it's, uh, you're absolutely correct that things have improved from the time that we were in high school and, uh, and earlier. Uh, when I was uh, working on my master's in educational leadership, part of my practicum uh, involves spending a couple of weeks shadowing a principal at a local middle school. And to be perfectly honest, I did not see um, a tremendous amount being done toward exposing those middle schoolers to guidance as far as planting seeds of thought as to what opportunities were there for them. And I completely agree with you. The earlier that's done, the better. And if we as parents and grandparents can do that while kids are little, uh, so much the better. I, 
I flew with a lot of guys that knew early on that they they were in love with airplanes and they wanted to grow up and be a pilot. Uh, as uh, as a scoutmaster in a local Boy Scout troop, one of my missions was to expose the boys to different opportunities uh, through the merit badges that they had a chance to learn, learn a little bit about electricity, learn a little bit about nuclear energy and uh, this, that, and the other writing. Uh, there's so many different things out there that you're just really spot on when you say that, that we need to expose kids to what those possibilities are. Let, let them know that they can be a, an astronaut. They can be an attorney. They can be a physician. Uh, and one of the, joys that I have in my profession is I've, I've met some some pretty well-known aviators and I have a few astronaut friends and uh, I never fail to uh, provide an opportunity to get an autographed picture for a kid from from one of my buddies when when the kid expresses an interest in something that those folks do so there there are so many ways that we can have an impact and a and a very positive impression on uh, on kids, especially when they're little. So you're spot on with that, Carolyn, spot on. Thank you. There are, and I'm, I'm gonna focus on aviation because you were an aviator or you are an aviator. Uh, one of the, I've taken my grandchildren to a lot of these air shows and, and, and museums. And every year there is an opportunity and I think it's called Girls Can Fly where anybody interested and there's some male pilots too but especially women pilots fly into different airports around Virginia and they give a free flight to these girls all you have to do is sign up and you get like a five ten minute flight and it is amazing the expressions of these little girl, girls who come out and just are fascinated by the fact that they flew in an airplane because most of these kids have never flown before. And then there's another organization called uh, the 90, I think it's called the 99ers. Are you familiar with them? The 99s, yes. They've been around for a 99. long time since World War II, yes. So do you want to tell, tell our listeners about them? I don't know a lot about the 99s other than it is an organization for female aviators. And it, it dates back, as I said, I hope I'm not misspeaking here, but it, it's at least uh, back to World War II. And they're a collective group, uh, a sorority, if you would, of, uh, of aviation in many cases, and I think in almost all cases, professionals. And they, they get together with their organization and they do exactly what you're talking about. They try to share with, uh, with girls that uh, flying and aviation is, is not a career that's, that's limited to guys. And uh, it's, it's a tremendous thing that they do. Uh, they not only have the camaraderie of being in an organization uh, of like-minded professionals, but they share their knowledge, like you said, by taking, uh, taking girls uh, flying and just exposing them to the opportunities that are out there. And there's no telling how many countless thousands or tens of thousands of girls that have, once that seed's planted, uh, then they have the confidence and they know that that's a possibility. That's something that they can aspire to be when they get older. So uh, yeah, the, the 99s are a really special group of ladies that, that do some wonderful things for girls. 
And there's also the Civil Air Patrol that introduces not just girls, but boys too, to flying at a young age. And I have read so many stories about teenagers who have their pilot's license before they even have their driver's license and they haven't even graduated from high school. So there are, there are lots of opportunities to expose kids to careers in, in aviation. And in the show notes of this episode, I'm going to link to the Girls Can Fly and the 99s and other organizations I know that specialize in encouraging careers in aviation. That's a great idea. Thank you for doing that. I want to go back to your book for a minute. You were talking about just the experience of holding a book and feeling the pages. And I got to tell you, the quality of the, of the paper in your book is also really pretty awesome. And I'm enjoying, I, I, I love touching paper in books. And this one is just really special too. So you've, you've got a really nice presentation with your book. But as we record this, which is September the 6th, which I want to give two shout outs for my family. One, my son turns 48 years old today, and he reminded me last night that that was 17,532 days. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I, see, I really do feel old saying 48 years and more than 17,000 days. And my daughter today embarked on her new career as an educator. She had worked for the city of Virginia Beach in a number of capacities, the last with the police department. And she decided a couple of years ago that she wanted to be an educator and teach English language learners. And so she resigned from her position, went back to school, graduated, and today is her first day of teaching at a middle school working with children whose background includes a variety of languages and who all are living here now and want to learn English. So I just want to talk about how proud I am of them today. What is, what is your daughter's first name? Renee. Renee. Renee, bless yes. your heart for, for having that <laughs> servant leadership to teach our impressionable kids. They, they need good teachers so desperately these days. So bless your heart for going out there and doing that. You you did great, mom. The, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Thank you. I have three children and I am so proud of all three of them. But as I said, today is September the 6th when we're recording this, and it's also a very special day for you. So can you tell our listeners why today is an important day? Well, today is the day that the book is being launched. Uh, I'm just, we've been so excited because we've known about the, the book being launched, as they say, or released uh, for quite some time. And it's been all I could do to not post things on social media and, and share the book cover and the stories and all that. But uh, our publicist said, no, no, you've got to wait for the launch date. You, you can't, uh, can't spill the beans too soon. So it, it's been really, really difficult to, to hold that in. But uh, last night, I have to admit, just shortly after the stroke of midnight, I noticed that our publicist had put something out. So I went ahead and shared that on social media, and I was so happy to do that. But I did cheat, I have to admit. I'll put myself on report here. About uh, three or four days ago, I had a video of Jasper out in the pasture. He was braying about something. I don't know what got him all jazzed up, but I posted about a 20-second video of him braying, and I just said that he was excited about something that was coming up on September 6th, 
and uh, to be standing by and we would uh, tell everybody what Jasper was so excited about. So I did kind of sneak that in. But yes, we're we're so excited today that we can announce that the book is available on uh, Indie Books and Barnes and Noble and Amazon. It's it's out there and uh, we're we're so pleased that people now have access to it. It's actually been available uh, for a couple of weeks since the since the publisher put it out there, but we haven't advertised it or marketed it. So today's the big launch day. And we're excited about that. The title is Jasper and the Christmas Fairies, written by Paul and Lisa Entrican, and illustrated by Jane Brost, who's another retired educator. Uh, she is. She's an art teacher. Uh, she's a friend of ours that. I actually met because her husband is also a Delta Airlines pilot. And uh, huh. I just happened to mention the fact that I had come up with this story. At that time, I hadn't even thought about who the artist might be. And Jane said, wow, that sounds great. I, I would love to draw some pictures uh, for that. And I said, well, have at it, Jane. And the next day, she sent a picture of, that she had done of Jasper. And I said, that looked at Lisa and I said, I think we found an artist for the book and asked her if she would be interested in illustrating the book. And she said, yes, we were off to the races. And I think she did a really, really nice job. It really is wonderful. And it, again, I just, my first thought when I saw this book and as I was reading it was old world charm. And I just, I, maybe it's the Scottish tales or maybe it's the fairies. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it just, it really is a cute book. I love the color scheme as well. Well, thank you for saying that. I, being of Scottish heritage, that's how I sort of concocted that as being part of Scottish lore and legend. But uh, it, it all seemed to fit. And as you said, uh, I like as James Taylor would say, uh, deep greens and blues are the colors I choose. And when I saw that uh, Jane had used those so many different places in the book, I was just tickled. I wish you much success in your and the sales. And I hope that this is the first of several in your Tales of Rufus. Well, thank you so much. And look forward to hearing one about uh, our turkey, Warren. Warren has a very interesting tale of her own. You notice I said her with a guy's name, Warren. Warren started out as a very confused little poult. Uh, the people that bought her as a chick thought that she was a chicken. And uh, they bought her with a couple of other chicken chicks and they named her Duck. And so when they found out that she was outgrowing the other two chicken chicks, they realized quickly that she wasn't a chicken and they couldn't keep a turkey inside the city limits. So we adopted Warren and I was convinced that Warren was a male. So we changed Duck's name to Warren and after she laid her first egg, we realized that she was a female. So we have a turkey that people thought was a chicken and was initially named Duck. And so somewhere in there is going to be a going to be a fun story about this little confused turkey named Warren. We also intend to do uh, a follow-on about our our Clydesdale Colt Thunder and his adventures, and uh, possibly Smarty. But uh, there there are a lot of stories around the ranch here that uh, we will hopefully continue this series uh, with our fingers crossed that, that this first book is well received and, uh, and we're encouraged to continue with the series. So thank you for asking about that. We're looking forward to it. We also <laughs> intend to do uh, a follow on about our, our Clydesdale Colt Thunder and his adventures 
and uh, possibly Smarty, but uh, there, there are a lot of stories around the ranch here that uh, we will hopefully continue this series uh, uh, with our fingers crossed that, that this first book is well-received and, uh, and we're encouraged to continue with the series. So thank you for asking about that. We're looking forward to it. I love talking with authors and learning about the inspiration for their stories. I think it is just, I just love that little inside glimpse at to, as to why somebody came up with a story. So thank you, Paul. <laughs> I love the fact that we've had this time to chat about your book and about your career and about your role as a grandfather and the mentoring that your grandparents did to you. And I wish you all the best. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest, or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.